grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's Paul's initial greeting that he gives to the church in Ephesus that we'll be looking at this morning. And the book of Ephesians, this letter or this epistle, uh, you may have heard the word epistle, it means letter. This letter is what we'll be looking at, Lord willing, for the rest of 2021. For the rest of 2021, we'll be working through this interspersed uh, with Josiah taking us through the book of Jonah. There is an Ephesians scholar uh, who I've benefited a lot already from, and his name is Klein Snodgrass. Uh, he has a lot of good things to say about Ephesians, so we'll be quoting him often, but it's also worth quoting him often just for every opportunity we have to say Snodgrass. But Klein Snodgrass says this about the book of Ephesians. He says, pound for pound, Ephesians may well be the most influential document ever written. Within the history of Christianity, only the Psalms, the Gospel of John, and Romans have been so instrumental in shaping the life and thought of Christians but all three of these works are much longer than the few pages of this letter. Now, you may very well come to a different conclusion on what the most uh, influential document ever written is or what your favorite book of the Bible is, but we can't deny the theological richness uh, and practical insight that we find in the book of Ephesians. It's only six chapters long, 155 verses, uh, and in most of your Bibles, probably no more than a few pages. If you read it start to finish out loud, it shouldn't take you more than 15 to 20 minutes. But one reason why the book of Ephesians is so impactful is that it is accessible. Snodgrass again says this, This letter is the most contemporary book in the Bible. Apart from a few terms and the treatment of slavery, which we will get into, Ephesians could have been written to a modern church. It is about us. It describes human beings, their predicament, sin, and delusion. But much more, it describes God's reaching out to people to recreate and transform them into a new society. Paul wrote this epistle, this letter, to new churches in Ephesus where sin, idolatry, sensuality, and various worldviews fought for the attention and worship of these new Christians. If you're not already seeing the parallels, we are a new church living in a world where sin, idolatry, sensuality, and various worldviews fight for our attention and worship. This is why Ephesians matters to us this morning. This is a different sermon than even the rest of the series. We're going through only the first two verses. Only the first two verses. So in one sense, we're covering very little ground. But in another sense, we're covering a lot of ground because we're using these first two verses to kind of cast a vision for this entire book that we go through. So we're getting kind of a micro and a macro look. But this introduction, this greeting from the Apostle Paul, it can be easily skimmed over, but it sets the stage, as I said, for the rest of the book. And so our big idea this morning, if you're uh, a note taker and you want to write this down, our big idea from Ephesians 1, 1 and 2 is this. Ephesians is a letter for us today of grace and peace. Ephesians is a letter for us today of grace and peace. And this big idea shapes the whole series. Uh, we have entitled the series Grace and Peace, as we'll see that vein through the entire book of Ephesians. 
And this morning, we're looking again at the greeting or the hello portion of the letter. And so I've entitled this sermon, You Had Me at Hello. And we can say that all to Paul. Ephesians 1, 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As I've said multiple times already this morning, the book of Ephesians is a letter. When we think of writing a letter, maybe many of us would be more familiar with writing an email, but I want to illustrate this this morning with thinking about writing a birthday card. When you write a birthday card, it's important that you have uh, a part where you say who it's from, right? Who's the birthday card from? A part that says uh, who the letter is to or who the birthday card is to and some kind of a greeting. And then there's the actual content. And so to break this down even further, uh, we have a birthday girl among us this morning, and that is Haley over here. All right, it's her birthday today. Yes. Two? Yeah? Two? Yes. So it's Haley's birthday. So if I was writing a birthday card to Haley, I would say to Haley. I would say from Aaron. And my greeting would be happy birthday. Are you with me so far? But then I would go on to have a message that expands on the greeting, right? Expands on the birthday wish. I would say, Haley, I'm so glad that you are too. It's been fun to watch you grow and join us on Sunday mornings and see her smiling face. How cool is it, Haley, that you are not only a little sister, but now a big sister. And I pray that you have a great year ahead. And then I might even conclude again with that greeting or the the thesis, happy birthday, right? Now, without the to, from, and the greeting part, it would still be an encouraging letter, right? But if you found it on the floor, you'd say, I don't know who this is to, I don't know who this is from, and it might not even say happy birthday, it just might be an encouragement about being to, and you don't know who it's from. It's still a good thing. But these from, to, and greeting parts help us understand the entire thing. And so the book of Ephesians, uh, these first two verses accomplish our from, our to, and our greeting. And the rest of the book is the message or the content. And so those will be our points this morning, from, to, and the greeting. So starting from, who is this from? I've already said it a couple times, and we see from the very first word, it says Paul. Now, I don't have any reason uh, to doubt that it's Paul. Some have suggested that it was somebody else who wrote this. But I'm convinced on a number of reasons that Paul is the author of Ephesians. For one, and maybe the simplest argument, but I think a profound argument. He says multiple times in the letter to tell the truth, to put away falsehood. And he says he wrote it. So, I'm convinced. Paul wrote the letter. Who is this letter from? Paul. Now, he doesn't just say Paul, comma, to so-and-so. He says some other things. So, what else does he say? He says Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. There's a lot going on in just that one line, but we'll start with this, an apostle. What is an apostle? Now, as we went through the book of Acts, we've considered this question before, what or who is an apostle? But you may remember that the word apostle means sent one, sent one, or one who is sent. And so it could mean something just as simple as that, a sent one, a messenger. But it also is used as a specific office or role. Uh, apostle is someone who is specifically appointed by Jesus himself 
to do foundational work in building the church. An apostle was specifically appointed by Jesus himself to do foundational work in building the church. And so this was done through leadership, through gospel proclamation, through writing portions of the Bible under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, giving their life, dedicating their life to this work of gospel proclamation, and many, if not most, giving their life, dying for their faith. And so there are no more apostles today in this sense, in the office sense of an apostle, right? We can have sent ones. We think of missionaries, right? In, in a sense, there's, all of us have a little bit of that identity as Christians. If we're Christians, we are sent ones. In the Great Commission, we are sent to the, the nations to share the gospel. But we are not apostles in the classic sense of the word. There are no more apostles. Apostles were a specific role for a specific time, specific people specifically appointed by Jesus. There's a lot of specifics there. I apologize. Most of them were Jesus' closest friends and followers or disciples. But Paul is an odd one out. We know from the book of Acts, from personal testimony, Paul was not a personal friend or close follower of Jesus. He was radically opposed to Jesus and his message. The earliest accounts we get of Paul, he was known as Saul at the time. He was pursuing, arresting, and approved of even killing Christians. He hated Jesus, and he hated Jesus' message. But you may remember, if you've been through the book of Acts before, or familiar with the Bible, the crazy and powerful story of what can happen when you come face to face with the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's what happened to Paul. Again, when he was named Saul, he was on his way to Damascus, literally en route to arrest Christians, and Jesus appeared to him in a blinding light on the road. And so to speak, rather than Paul arresting Christians, Jesus arrested him and commissioned him to go and share the gospel. And it changed everything for Paul. If you want a refresher, uh, there's three different accounts of Paul's conversion in the book of Acts. Uh, two where it's recounted and uh, Acts chapter 9 where it's actually described. If you want some good reading over lunch today, read Acts chapter 9 to refresh your memory of this Paul who writes this letter to the Ephesians. But he goes from an enemy of the gospel to a proclaimer of the gospel. An enemy of the gospel to a proclaimer of the gospel. His life is changed. It's devoted, devoted to Jesus Christ. And so in this letter, in this introduction, when Paul introduces himself, when he says the from portion of the letter, that's what he's saying. Paul, a personally commissioned apostle by Jesus Christ himself and by the will of God. The will of God is what we'll see. We'll see it throughout the whole book of Ephesians. But this is what Paul is saying. God saved him and God has sent him. God has saved him. God has sent him. And this is a good reminder for us to just push pause. You know, a couple words into Ephesians already. A good reminder on a few levels. One, God can save anyone. And many of you know that. You know the depths of where you were and you know where you are now. God can save anyone. There is likely no one you and I know personally, or maybe we'll ever even meet, who is less fertile ground than Paul. But God saves. He alone revives dead hearts and transforms lives. And so that reminder for us this morning, if you're a Christian, share the gospel with your friends, 
with your neighbors, with family, with strangers, and let God do the rest. It's also a good reminder for us that this letter is relevant for us today. This letter is relevant for us today. We are not simply eavesdropping on a letter to a church in first century Asia, but God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, chooses to reveal himself through the Bible, written by human authors under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. One of these authors, Paul. But he's carrying the authority of the one who commissioned him. So this is God's word for us today. This letter is for us today. And so this is not less than a letter to a church in first century Asia, but it is also so much more. But I am getting ahead of myself. So we know who the letter is from. Now who is the letter to? Who is the letter to? Well, it says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Again, lots there. But let's start on saints. Saints. When you think of a saint, what or who do you think of? What do you think of when you think of a saint? Now, our understanding of saints has been distorted over the years. We may think that it's, you know, maybe the, only, the apostles, you know, St. Paul, St. John, those guys are only saints. Family, friends of Jesus, or someone who did something exceptional and were voted into sainthood throughout history. Maybe they died for their faith. Maybe that's what makes them a saint. Is that who this letter is to? Well, no. If we look at the Bible, right, if we look at the New Testament, a saint is a Christian. If you are a Christian, you are a saint. So when Paul is addressing this letter to the saints who are in Ephesus, he's saying to the Christians in Ephesus, to the Christians in Southwest Asia. We don't become saints by earning it, by being particularly holy or saintly. Ephesians alone shows us that we are saved by grace through faith. Because of God's grace. That's an unfamiliar word sometimes to us. Grace, an unmerited or unearned gift, unmerited or unearned favor. That we can be set apart as holy or be saints. And this should change how we live. So if you are a Christian, you are a saint. It may feel like strange language, but it is true. Author and pastor Tony Morita says this. Our practice should line up with our position. Our practice should line up with our position. Now let me expand on that. Our, our position, saints. Our practice then, holy, set apart. Or as Paul writes at the end of verse 1, faithful. We see Paul's letter expands extensively on this truth, as we'll see over the next few months. But we have been chosen before the foundation of the world, to be adopted by God as his children, we should be holy and blameless before him. We were dead in our sin, but if you are a Christian, you have been made alive in Christ. That is good news. If you are a Christian, you have been set apart. You are a saint. Are you perfect? Far from it. Far from it. We are saints who sin. That does not disqualify us because it's not our righteousness, it's Christ's righteousness on our behalf. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So we must continually turn from our sin. Being saints who sin kind of puts us in this strange in-between land here. 
but we need to confess and trust God to forgive and redeem. This is what the New Testament teaches, that we're to confess our sin. Like 1 John 1 says, a true Christian doesn't deny their sin, but a mark of a true Christian is one who confesses their sin, but trusts that God is mighty to save. And so our position, saints, should change our practice. And we see this through the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters is really how and why we are saved. Maybe the best description of conversion. And so that's the doctrinal section. And then the last three chapters, or the other three chapters, are how we are to live because we are saved. That's the practical section. So there's a doctrinal section, a practical section, or gospel explanation and gospel application. This is typical of Paul's way of writing his letters. Why? Well, because the gospel, our identity in Christ, changes everything. Our gospel, the gospel, our identity in Christ, changes everything. Changes our relationships. Changes how and why we exist as a church. Changes our personal holiness, our visible lives, our marriages, our parenting, our role as employees, as employers, as Christians living in a broken world. The gospel changes everything. And it should change the way we live. Our awareness of God and the gospel should change the way that we live. Steve Lawson says this, Being a saint does not make us sinless, but it should make us sinless. I like that a lot. I love it. Being a saint does not make us sinless, but it should make us sinless. So we know who the letter is from. The Apostle Paul, by the will of God, We know it's two, saints, Christians. But then we see the saints who are in Ephesus. Ephesus. Spend a few minutes here. We know from the book of Acts and through history, uh, historical records, that Ephesus was a big city. About 200 to 250,000 people. It was the mother city in Asia. Had major land and shipping routes. Although the shipping routes, if you Google map Ephesus... Uh, The harbor has long since silted up, so it looks landlocked, but it was at one point on the water. It was a big city, but it was a city that was filled with idolatry. You may remember from the book of Acts, Paul was almost killed by the craftsmen there because he was sharing the gospel so effectively that the craftsmen, whose livelihood was dependent on building these idols and shrines, were saying, man, we're losing money. Let's kill this guy. So they were losing their mind, but that's that's the culture. That was the climate there. Right? But not by nature. It was not a, a Christian hub. It was a city filled with idolatry, materialism, and sensuality. A carved stone remains today uh, by the harbor with directions for sailors to the nearest brothel. As soon as they got off their boat, they knew where to go. But it became a Christian hub. Paul spent years there. And the book of Acts tells us that all the residents of Asia heard the gospel. Imagine the impact of that. Heritage Grace Church was planted a year ago. Imagine that. All the saints, uh, all all the residents of Waterloo Region heard the gospel. That'd be pretty cool. That's the way Paul operated. Not without much trial. He had a very rough go. He should have gotten hazard pay through this process. But it's a good reminder of the large impact that can happen through ordinary work by ordinary people in an ordinary place. But because it's God doing the work, there's extraordinary fruit. That's the way Paul operated. It said, every day, in the heat of the day, he would go to this place called the Hall of Tyrannus. How many kids remember that word, Tyrannus? 
I just all I think of is Tyrannus Rex. Anyway, but the Hall of Tyrannus, and Paul went there with some sort of lecture hall type thing, and he would just preach. He would preach, and he would share the gospel, not during the prime time, but just consistently. And all the residents of Asia heard the gospel. And this is our call, individually and as a church. We are not apostles, but we are sent ones. We are sent ones. We are called to show and share the love of Jesus Christ. And so be encouraged. God can and does do extraordinary things through ordinary faithfulness. Now, Ephesus, as I said, was kind of the mother city of Asia. And so this letter, uh, many believe it to be a a form of a circular letter, a letter that went, uh, it said Ephesus, but it was really representative of all of Southwest Asia. The whole region is represented when he says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. And Paul writes this letter to them in this dark and sinful city. But he writes it not like a lot of other letters. A lot of other letters he wrote are addressing a problem. He says, okay, you guys really blew it here. Here's what you can do. This one, he's not really addressing a problem. But he writes to encourage them to say, stay strong, press on, know the gospel, apply the gospel. And that's the same reminder that we need today. So that's who the letter is from. That's who the letter is to. And now the greeting. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. This is not an abnormal greeting. Often there was greetings. Maybe in your emails you say something similar. You know, I'm uh, emailing Cecil. I might say, hey, Cecil, hope you're well. Maybe that's my greeting. This is Paul's greeting. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So letters often have these greetings or well wishes. But grace and peace characterize so much more than just a greeting or a welcome. They characterize what it means to be a Christian. We may not think about these words often, but I think we could agree in our society, we often feel entitled to these things. We feel entitled to grace. We think it's owed to us. We feel entitled to peace. We think it's owed to us. And if we don't get it, we try to find it ourselves. We try to find it from within or from different vices. But Paul roots grace and peace in something other than what we find by looking in. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If we consider our days, if we did a little inventory, where are we looking for grace and peace? Is it in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ? You may not call it grace and peace. You may talk about joy, satisfaction, meaning. But where do, we, where do we look? Do we look in our work, finances, relationships? We put our hope in the wrong places. This is a good reminder for us this morning. It might feel like an oversimplification. Aaron, Paul's just doing a greeting. Man, he's just saying grace and peace. He says it all the time. But this is important. Grace and peace. Paul's wish, his encouragement, his exhortation to these believers was grace to you and peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was rooted in where that grace and peace comes from. As we often sing, in Christ alone our hope is found. And so you can imagine 
all you want with John Lennon, a world of grace and peace. But you would be naive to think that that can come from us, that can come from within. True grace, true peace alone comes from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Our world is broken because of sin. We and everyone before us has gone our own way. And this brokenness extends to our relationship with God. We've severed ties with him. He's created us to be holy, set apart, to be like him. But we've gone our own way. We said, I want to be king. I want to be queen of my own life. We've gone our own way. And that peace that God created us to have with him, it's been broken. It's been gone. But God knew that we would blow it. He knew that we would mess up. He knew that we would sin. He knew that we would sever that peace. And so he made a way for us to be made right with him, to restore peace with him. Because he is perfect and holy, and we are sinful. We've separated, separated ourselves from him, but he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to come into the world to live a perfect life that you and I could never live to live a, a life of peace with God, yet die the death that you and I deserve for our rebellion. And he rose on the third day, demonstrated that God's wrath had been satisfied against sin, and made a way for us to be made right with him, made a way for us to know the peace of God by repenting, by turning from our sin and trusting in Christ alone and his righteousness, we could be made right with God. We could know grace, an unmerited gift. We didn't deserve, there's nothing we can do to earn this gift. We could know grace and then we could have a restored relationship with God. We could know peace. We could know peace. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus. We see just a few verses later, which we'll look at, Lord willing, next week. In Ephesians 1, 7, it says, In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. That's good news. We can know this peace. Or the scriptural assurance of forgiveness that Jess read earlier. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can know peace with God. That is the good news of the gospel. Right? And this is not my offer to give. This is not me from a high horse or a high stage. This is me, again, I've said a million times, one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. I am a sinner desperately in need of a savior. And you are a sinner desperately in need of a savior. But the good news is there is a savior. The good news is we can have peace with God. We can know grace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Just a few verses later in Romans 5, after that verse we read earlier, it's Romans 5, 8, very well known. But God shows his love, his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's good news. If you have never heard this message or you've never responded to this message before, we would love to tell you more about this hope that we can have. 
that grace and peace aren't just held out as, you know, maybe someday, maybe somehow, maybe I'll find it, you know. Why do you think there's many, so many self-help books? Because they don't work. But there's grace and peace that can be known. We would love to share more of that grace and peace that we know. Just talk to someone next to you. Uh, come find me. Talk to somebody after the service. Don't leave here today without digging in. If what I've said makes you angry, talk to me too. I would love to talk to you more about this grace and peace that we can know. And Christians, brothers and sisters, we do not graduate from this. We do not graduate. We need to be reminded of the grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. His mercies are new for us every morning. We are prone to wander. We are saints, but we're saints who stumble. We are saints who sin. We are saints who live in a broken world. We need this reminder. We need to be reminded of the grace and peace that comes from God alone. This is why Paul wrote Ephesus, and this is why this letter matters to us this morning. Captured in a simple greeting is a message of hope, that we are saved by God's grace and that we can have peace with him. And this peace changes our lives, just like we saw Paul's life radically changed when he had an encounter with the gospel. If you are a Christian, this peace and grace that we can know should change everything. We'll see through the book of Ephesians, because of the unifying gospel, we can have peace across racial divides. We can have peace and know grace in our churches. We can have peace and know grace in our marriages, in our parenting, in our work relationships. As a society, we do desire peace, and that is a good thing. But real grace and peace is found in Christ alone, and it changes everything. Jerry Bridges writes this, Peace should be a hallmark of the godly person. First, because it is a godlike trait. God is called the God of peace several times in the New Testament. He took the initiative to establish peace with rebellious men, and he is the author of both personal peace as well as peace among men. Peace should be part of our character also because God has promised his peace. Because he has commanded us to let peace rule in our lives and relationships and because peace is a fruit of the Spirit and therefore an evidence of his working in our lives. As a church, are we characterized by peace? As Christians, are we characterized by peace? HGC, let's consider these truths, the truths of grace and peace that we can know and by God's help, let these truths change us. Ephesians is incredibly practical. And in a sense, it's simple. We don't have to do a lot of hoop jumping to apply what we're going to see through the book of Ephesians. But simple does not mean easy. This is a radical call to change our heart, or rather let Christ change your heart. To bring us from death to life, to put off our old self and put on our new self. Snodgrass again says, Ephesians provide some of the most direct and practical guidelines for living in Scripture. Not every subject is covered by any means, but the foundation and guidelines are so clear that application to other issues follows directly. Be warned, however, Ephesians does not give a list of rules to follow, nor can response be superficial or easy. This letter requires us to change our inner being and character in a radical way. 
life can no longer merely happen. For all our activity must now take place in, to, and for the Lord. And so here we are, church. We are diving in to a 2,000-year-old letter. But it's a letter and a call for us today. It's a letter that starts with grace and peace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And ends with grace and peace. The last two verses say this. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. John Stott reminds us, so if we want a concise summary of the good news which this whole letter announces, we could not find a better one than peace through grace. Peace through grace. I pray that the book of Ephesians teaches us much about God, about ourselves, and about the church. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious gospel that saves and transforms. That in our brokenness, we can be called saints. That you extend grace to us when we don't deserve it. And that we can know peace with you. And that that peace can extend to every part of our lives. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for many who have dedicated their life and even given their life so that we could have these pages in front of us this morning. But God, we know these are so much more than words on a page. These are your words to our hearts. Father, help us to apply these words to apply your word to our hearts. We thank you for the gift of your son, the word made flesh. And it's in his name, the name of Jesus, that we pray. Amen. As we do every Sunday that we're